There's nothing like a political election season to remind us that honor and dignity. I haven't even gotten to the, to the rest of it yet. There's nothing like it to, to remind us that honor and dignity have long since taken a backseat to greed and ambition in this country. And I remember being a young man in, in grade school and, and then high school, watching the political ads and, and ad campaigns and the smear campaigns that would take place and, and struggling at that point to say, wow, we're supposed to, to all of a sudden honor somebody after they're elected president, after they've acted like a petulant child through the entire election process? Well, now that's, that's the tame part of the, uh, the lack of honor and dignity. Because now what you have is you have politicians on both sides of the aisle standing up and giving profanity-laced speeches as though that somehow drives home their point even further when all it really does is reveal their lack of intelligence and ability to formulate words without resulting to vulgar speech. And now there's personal attacks as well. And it just reminds us as, as men, and it should remind us as godly men that that honor, honorability and, and respectability is, is quickly fleeting in this country. I'm not only hearing others as well, but I saw it firsthand just last night. My family and I went out to, to dinner at In-N-Out and I was inside ordering the food and my wife took my kids outside to go find a table and she got them seated and came back inside while I was still ordering. She grabbed a couple of high chairs to go out and there was a, a, a man I won't call him a gentleman, but there was a man who came up to the door on the outside of the doors at In-N-Out. And here's a, a mom with two high chairs in her hands. And she waited for my wife to open the door for him and hold the door for him so that he could walk in. I didn't see that happen, which is why I'm still qualified to be in pastoral ministry with you tonight. But man, that's, that's, that's the, the culture that we live in today. There's no dignity, there's no chivalry, there's no honorability, there's no respectability. While our culture may not value this trait amongst its men, certainly it's a trait that God values amongst us. In fact, it's a trait that God requires of a man who's gonna serve as a pastor or as an elder, as a leader in the church, and certainly by now this is a broken record to you all, as just a man in general in the church. This is something to be honorable, or as it's put in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 3, to be a man of respectable nature. It's something that all of us need to be desiring and striving for in our lives. The text that we're going to look at together tonight is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 21. And in this text, we get a picture of what in God's estimation amounts to an honorable man. So if you're not already there, grab your Bibles, open them up to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 21. The Apostle Paul writing to young Timothy there says, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work. Now we don't necessarily deal with vessels of honorable and dishonorable use in the same way that the Apostle Paul was dealing with in that culture and time, but we can understand the concept that he's driving at, that he's illustrating in verse 20. We understand this concept because none of you, if you invite somebody over to your house and they say, hey, can I get a glass of water? You're not gonna go to the toilet and take a glass and dip it into the toilet and offer them water out of the toilet tank, are you? Right? Because you understand that that would not be an honorable vessel to serve water from. 
In the same way, if somebody says, hey, I'm, I'm hungry, do you have a plate so I can get some food? You're not gonna go to the, the garbage bin and pull up a, a paper plate that you used last night out of the bin with its dirtiness all over it and hand it to them and say, yeah, here, go ahead and get yourself some food. We understand this concept of, of honor and shame when it comes to the idea of a, of a vessel, of, a, of an instrument, of a, of a bowl. And at this point in time, as Pastor John clearly laid out for us this past week, and if you were here, the Apostle Paul was talking about those vessels that were used for receptacles of human waste, garbage, versus the vessels that were used to adorn a king's table, to have food served on, to have the wine served in during that time. And Paul's saying there's a difference there. And the point he's making in the text is just as there's a difference in the physical vessel, so too there's a difference in God's church. There are men who can be honorable and men who can be dishonorable within the church of God. You remember Paul's writing to Timothy. This is now his second letter to Timothy. But in the first letter to Timothy, right after the qualifications of an elder that we're looking at, the qualifications of a godly man that we're looking at, he wrote this to Timothy. He said, I'm writing to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church, right? And so Paul's writing and instructing Timothy on how to engage and how to order and how to, uh, to organize the church. And he's saying within the church, there can be those vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. And so he starts with that rather stark contrast and that illustration of the, the toilet versus the, the wine goblet, so to speak. And he says in verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Again, we're talking about that, that qualification, that attribute, that trait that all of us should strive for as men, to be men who are respectable, men who are honorable, men who are dignified. And Paul says, if you want to be dignified, if you want to be an honorable man, make sure that you've cleansed yourself from what is dishonorable. This is what we've been talking about so far and so many of the attributes that we've already looked at. Looking at a man who's above reproach, looking at a man who is a man of, of self-control. We talked about cleansing ourselves. We talked about living an upright and, and godly life. We looked at the example of Daniel and the example of Joseph, and held those two men up as uh, paradigms of what we should strive to model our own lives after. And so we've hit on this first part of verse 21, that look, the, the foundation for us to be men of honor, men of dignity, men of, of respectability in the eyes of God is to make sure that we are men who have cleansed ourselves from those things that are dishonorable. That we are men that are not holding on to sin, men that are not harboring unconfessed sin in our lives, but men that are, are making sure that we are pursuing Christ-likeness and holiness. But Paul then shifts the focus to an important part of our identity that I want to be the main thrust of our time together tonight. And he says that if, if we embrace this part of our identity, this is what it looks like to be an honorable man of God. See, we think about the world's definition of honor and dignity, at least when it had one, and the world will, will take honor and equate honor with status, honor with power, honor with position. But that's not the type of honor that we're after. And that's not the type of honor that God is concerned about that you have in your life. See, if we're to be honorable according to God's standards in God's economy, it means that we must first and foremost understand that we are God's servants. Paul says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel, an instrument, of, an instrument of service, 
a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house and ready for every good work. A vessel. A vessel is intended to be used in service. A vessel is not an object of of worship. It's not an object of prestige. A vessel is a, a utilitarian tool. You might even think of a vessel as a conduit. The vessel carries something greater. When you sit down to Thanksgiving dinner and maybe you've got some of the finest vessels in your household on the table, nobody raves about the vessels. What do you rave about? The food that the vessels carry, right? Well, the Apostle Paul is saying, look, yes, we want to be honorable vessels, but men, we are still vessels nonetheless. We are a conduit for something greater. We are a conduit for God's spirit working in and through our lives. We are not the focus here. To be honorable is not to be honorable the way the world esteems honor, of having some prestige in the eyes of man. No, to be honorable in the eyes of God is to be first and foremost uh, aware of our identity as his servants. Paul says, if we cleanse ourselves, if we live self-controlled, upright, godly lives, we will be this type of vessel. A vessel for honorable use, he says, set apart as what? Holy. Set apart as holy. It's a little bit of a a redundant phrase there from the Apostle Paul because to be holy is to be set apart for God's use. So set apart, to be set apart for the Lord. Much like the vessels in the temple, you remember the instruments in the temple were holy vessels. They were consecrated for use by the priests in worshiping God. And you and I, the Apostle Paul is calling us to understand that if we're to be honorable men in the eyes of God, we need to be set apart, wholly devoted to him for his use and in service to him. It's only right when we consider that we've been bought by the Lord, yes? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. I know it's in the context of the idea of sexual purity, but it applies in every arena of our lives. When the Apostle Paul said, you have been bought with a price, So glorify God with your body. I'm no longer my own. You're no longer your own. We are not freed from slavery to death and sin to a status of of personal autonomy. We are transferred from slavery to death to slavery to the Lord. We become an instrument that was once an an instrument of unrighteousness, as Paul writes in in Romans chapter 6, and now we become an instrument of righteousness to be used by the Lord. We are God's servants. And that's the most honorable identity that any of us could ever have. Point number one for you tonight, understand you are God's servant. Understand you are God's servant. You wanna be honorable. It's not about climbing the corporate ladder. It's not about the car you drive. It's not about the zip code you live in. It's not about any of that. It's not about the number of zeros behind your, your, your bank account. It's about first and foremost being a servant of God. I don't think people do it too much anymore and it's a good thing that they don't. Maybe you do at home and you can explain it to me afterwards. But I remember growing up and I'd go with my parents to go visit people in, in different homes and I'd walk in and sometimes the couches would be covered in this white, or not this white, this clear plastic covering. And I remember walking into the house and thinking to myself, who are you waiting to use that couch? Are you expecting the Queen of England to show up? Like who gets to use the couch? Or is it always just, you're gonna sit on that crinkly, uncomfortable plastic the whole time to preserve the cushions? 
I knew it wasn't for me, but I was wondering who does get to use the couch? It was reserved for somebody, right? Well, man, you and I are servants reserved for the Lord. We're set apart for him, not for common use. Don't settle for being honorable in the eyes of the world. That's such a low standard for us, man. Strive instead to be honorable to the Lord by being his servant. Imagine if you were to come up here and I were to hand you a microphone and say, you know what, introduce yourself to the men in the room. Maybe you'd stand up here and you'd give us initially your name, which is a great way to start when you introduce yourself, right? Hi, I'm, I'm so-and-so. But then maybe you'd go from there to say, I'm, I'm married or I'm not married. Maybe if you're married, you'd give us your wife's name. You'd give us your kids, your number of kids, five, which is normal for everybody, right? You'd give uh, maybe your job, your career, how long you've been working there, whether you enjoy it or not. Uh, and then maybe you'd tell us, hey, I've, I've been at Compass for this long. Maybe you serve in a ministry in Compass. You'd say, I, I volunteer here with the parking ministry or anything else. All of these are elements of our identity, right? How we think about ourselves. And a lot of those are, are things that the world would attach value to, honor to. But if we stop there, we've left out a, a key component of our identities. Because if we were to stand up here and really introduce ourselves, the first thing that we should say is, here's who I am, and I need you to know first and foremost that I am a servant of God. I am his bondservant. I am his slave. And that is core to my identity. You know, in 10 of Paul's letters, as Paul introduced himself, he either identified himself right off the bat as either a servant, which is a tame translation of the Greek word because it really does mean slave, as a slave of God or as, a, as an apostle, which we can really still understand as a servant, somebody who's been sent with a message, somebody who's representing a, a superior with a message, been commissioned by somebody else. And so as the apostle Paul was writing these letters, he didn't start with any flowery introductions of himself. He didn't re, uh, go, rehash his, his background like he does in Philippians chapter three, right? He does that in Philippians chapter three. He says that he's a Pharisee of Pharisees and he lists his, his tribe as part of the, the Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, and he goes on and on and on and on. And, and then what does he say at the end of that? Why is he, he going through all that? Because he's saying all that is what? It's rubbish, which is a very polite English translation of that word. It's dung is what the apostle Paul says. Now the world would look at that and say, wow, that's, that's honorable, Paul. You need to esteem Paul highly because of his resume. Paul says, no, crumple that up and throw it in the garbage can. You wanna know who I am? I'm, gonna, I'm, a, I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant of God. I'm a slave of God. So as we think about that ourselves, men, we need to understand that every single way that we choose to identify ourselves or every single marker of our identity in this world needs to be viewed through the eyes of us being servants of God. So as husbands, you are a servant of God before you are anything else as a husband. That your love for your wife is first and foremost an act of obedience and submission to God before it is anything about her. As a father, you men are, are God's servant. That the way that you raise your children according to the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that that has more to do with your relationship with God than it does your relationship with your kids. As a friend, a brother in Christ to the men around the table with you, that you are a servant of God as you are a friend to these men. 
that the way that you interact with them, again, has way more to do with your identity to, in, in your standing before God than it does your horizontal relationships with one another. You're a servant as an employer. If you're the boss, you are God's servant in that role, in that capacity. The way that you treat those who you employ, you need to treat them and, and interact with them as God's servant first and foremost. As an employee, you're under the boss. The way that you interact with him, the way that you interact with your supervisor, your manager, is, is first and foremost through the lens of your identity as a servant of God. Churchman, evangelist, citizen, we could go on and on and on and on. Really, fundamentally, the core reality is your identity as a human being in this world is first and foremost foundationally your identity as a servant of God. And the world is gonna look at that and shake their heads and say, that doesn't make any sense. But God is gonna look at that and say, this is what is honorable. This is what is respectable. You remember the disciples, they're arguing on, literally on Christ's way to the cross. And they're arguing about what? Who will be the what? Greatest, Greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And we wanna sit there and pull our hair out at them. And I sit there and I say, God, thank you that I wasn't there because I would have been with them. But Jesus looks at them and he says, you, you wanna be great? He says, don't, don't try to be like the, 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 the people of the earth, like the rulers of the earth who lord it over other men. He said, you wish to be great, you must become the what? Servant, servant of all. The servant of all. Men, there's not an ounce of your identity which you should not see as first and foremost an expression of your identity as a servant, as a slave of God which means he is your master, which means he has given you instruction as to how to operate in that sphere of your life. And as his servant, as his slave, your responsibility is to say, so be it. As you've said, so I will do. That's this first key component in our identity as honorable, respectable men. It's not to run to the top of the food chain. It's to say, how can I, own my identity as, as God's servant in humility in that act of submission to the Lord. The honorable vessels, they're not like the, the couch with the plastic covering. God does not have honorable vessels that he does not use. There are, are no honorable vessels in the, the China cabinet in God's economy. If you are a, an honorable vessel unto the Lord, you are going to be employed to the Lord. And that's what the Apostle Paul says as he continues there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, reserved for use for God, God's servant. And then he says this, useful to the master of the house. Useful to the master of the house. Speaking of, of China, uh, my wife and I finally got rid of the china that we got for our wedding because we realized that we had had it for 13 years and moved it from, uh, we had, what, 11 houses in 13 years? Yeah, that's uh, life as a seminary student and uh, that's craziness, right? But we, had, we kept moving these boxes and there were a lot of the boxes and we kept going, what are we gonna do with this? And, and you know how many times we used that in 13 years? One time. One time when we were newlyweds, before we had kids, believe it or not, I know that's a big shock. And my mom came for Easter and we pulled out the china to, to have ribs on, right? I mean, like <laughs> once, the rest of the time, what did we do? We kept it in boxes for what? 
for the Queen of England to come visit us, right, in one of our tiny apartments that we lived in and have ribs on our china. It's, it's, it's pointless. And some of you men are picturing your wife's china cabinets at home. Don't go home and tell her her china is pointless. Just let her have it. Just let her have it, okay? It's live with your wife in an understanding manner time at that point. But see here, the, 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 men, the, the, the temple didn't have a china cabinet. God's vessels are God's vessels to use, not to look pretty. The reason that they're different, the reason that they're distinct though, is that they were to be used solely in worship for God. They're set apart, they're holy. They're reserved for him, only to be used in service in worship to him. Which is why the, the hand appears in Daniel chapter five with Belshazzar. Because you remember what Belshazzar did at the beginning of chapter five? He called for the vessels of the house of God that Nebuchadnezzar had carried off from the, the temple back when he had destroyed the temple. And Belshazzar brings in the vessels that were set apart for use by God, holy unto God. And Belshazzar uses them to toast the gods of gold and silver and wood. He turns them into to idols. And the hand appears on the wall, says, you're done, right? Because those vessels were honorable. They're to be used solely in worship to God. Man, you and I, if we're to be truly useful to God, need to be like that. Reserved to be solely used by God. But here's the deal. We have to be used by God. We have to be used by God. There's no china cabinets in the temple. There's no china cabinets in the church. All of you have a part to play in God's economy here in the church. Serving in some capacity to be useful to him. And that's our second point tonight. Make yourself useful to God. Make yourself useful to God. Later in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. The apostle Paul says to, to Timothy, Luke alone is with me. But he says this, he says, get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for my ministry. It's that same concept. Useful, it's the same word. I have, he's helpful to have around. Bring him to me because I can put him to work in ministry. He's gonna be a benefit to me in serving others in doing the work that needs to be done. Man, there's a lot of craziness that comes with five kids, but there's a lot of usefulness that comes with five kids too. We've trained my two older ones to do the dishes, which is brilliant, by the way. I trained my, my oldest son, Joshua. He takes out the trash now, which is great. It's, it's useful. And sometimes, though it's rare, sometimes they'll even argue and, and fight with each other to see who's gonna be more useful to us. We like to capture those moments, right? It's like, how can we use this and capitalize on this moment, right? But why do they want to do that? Because they want to think that, th that they are useful. They long for mom and dad to think that they're responsible, to think that they're helpful, to entrust them with more tasks and, and more responsibility, right? We understand that, man. We understand that, that there's, there's honor to be useful to somebody who's our superior, if you have a boss at work, you want him to consider that you're useful, don't you? You don't want him to look at you like a fifth wheel. You don't want him to look at you and go, what does that guy do again for us? When budget cuts come for the company, you don't want him to look at your position and go, do we really need this? You want him to think you're useful. 
Well, man, God is our ultimate superior. And we need to make it our aim to be useful first and foremost to him. Some ways to do that. As we, again, we strive to be a man who's honorable in the sight of the Lord. To be honorable in the sight of the Lord is not only to be his servant, but then also to be useful in service to him. What does that look like? First, number one, serving him by serving the church. Serving him by serving the church. I'm not going to press in too much on that because you're going to spend some time hopefully in your small groups talking about that concept. But Ephesians 4.12 says that, that God has given the, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so men, you need to be useful to God by being useful in service to the church. Second, if you want to be useful to the Lord, give to the church. Give to the church. Now, let me provide a caveat on all of these things. Does, it, does God need you in any of these things? No, he doesn't, right? You remember when Jesus said he can raise up stones to give praise and glory to God? Okay, so let's not, let's not think that, that this means that, that God needs us and develop a, 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 a twisted sense of pride in being useful to God. That out of the way, we need to, to make sure that we are useful to him, serve by serving the church, give to the church. Again, the way that he can use the, the gifts that we all give, and hopefully we are, so, so that the, the ministry can continue to be done, so that missionaries can continue to be supported, so that events can continue to be put on as a way to be useful in God's economy. Third, studying. Studying his word to learn more about God. You think to yourself, well, how is that useful to God for me to increase my knowledge of him? Because the increase of your knowledge of him is going to have an impact on your life. It's gonna transform your life. It's gonna fuel your service to him. It's gonna fuel your praise and your worship of him. And so the more effective you are in your time studying and being in the word, you are gonna be more useful to the Lord. Fourth, praying to the Lord to express your dependence on him is <clears throat> useful to the Lord. It magnifies him, it glorifies him, it exalts his strengths as you confess your weaknesses and your need of him. Praying to express your dependence on him. Fifth, praying to exalt him, to worship him with praise and thanksgiving. That's useful to the Lord. Worshiping him in your praise, worshiping him in your prayers, returning thanks to him for the good gifts that he's given to you in your life is a way to be useful to the Lord. Sixth, praying for your brothers in Christ and your church family just in, in general at large, like we did earlier with, with the, the singers, praying for people is a way to be useful to the Lord. Seventh, Praying for the leaders of our country. Praying for revival in our country. For reform in our country. So ways to be useful in God's economy. Useful to the Lord. Eight, praying for the lost in your life. Praying that they would be saved. Praying that God would raise somebody up and bring the gospel to them if that's not gonna be you as a way to be useful to the Lord. Ninth, sharing the gospel, not just praying for the lost, but sharing the gospel with the lost. Being God's ambassador, being Christ's ambassador is a way to be useful to the Lord. 
We are the, the body of Christ. We are the visible manifestation of Christ on earth now that he has ascended and seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he has left us here to be about the work of reaching the lost, to be about the work of evangelism. It's a way to be useful to the Lord. 10, loving your wife and leading her spiritually is a way to be useful to God. Loving her well and leading her spiritually is a way to be useful to the Lord. I've got seven more. 11, loving your kids well and leading them spiritually. Loving your kids well and leading them spiritually is a way to be useful to God. 12th, and this one can have a million subpoints. It doesn't, so don't worry about that. But attending to your personal holiness is a way to be useful to God. This is what he was talking about at the beginning of 2 Timothy 2.21. Cleanse your vessel from ungodliness so that you might be a vessel for honorable use. Attend to your personal holiness. That's foundational. That probably should have come first in this list. That is foundational to being useful to God. 13, serve as an accountability partner for a brother in Christ. And be faithful in that role. Take that role seriously. It's a way to be useful to the Lord, caring about the sanctification of a brother in Christ. Along those lines, number 14, confronting a fellow believer over sin is a way to be useful to God. We're instructed, commanded even, men, to do that in Galatians chapter six. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a, a, a transgression, caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore the person in a spirit of gentleness and honor. It's a way to be useful to him. 15, taking somebody through partners. Partners is our one-on-one -on -one discipleship program here at the church. If you haven't been through it, a way to be useful to God is to go through partners. But if you have been through it, sign up to, to take somebody else through. 16, another way to be useful to God is get training as a biblical counselor. Get training as a biblical counselor. Plug for CBI. You can sign up and take Pastor Lucas's course on that. He's gonna be teaching that next semester over at CBI. Biblical counseling training. Get trained so that you can be effective as a counselor for your brothers in Christ. Finally, 17, being an encouragement to other believers around you is a way to be useful to God. There are certain men, and I, 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 they're, they're the Barnabas men in my life. Barnabas means son of encouragement. And I know when I see them that they're gonna, they're gonna encourage me. They're gonna build me up. They're gonna be such a, a blessing to me. That's a way to be used by God in somebody else's life, to be that in somebody else's life. Really, guys, what we're talking about here is realizing your created purpose, fulfilling your created purpose, which is to be useful to God, not to be useful to self, which is what sin says, but to be an honorable vessel for the Lord, we must be useful to him. Sometimes a, a person can understand their identity as God's servant, and they can make themselves useful to God. They can be employed in, in God's service. They can be serving like all of those things that I just mentioned. They can be involved in so many of those, and yet at the same time, they can be serving and, and yet not happy about it, right? Like a child being asked to clean their room 
or a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant when they want to be anywhere else but serving you. We've all had that, that waiting experience, right? You're sitting there and the, the waiter has just had an awful day and you're like, oh great, and you get to serve me now, right? And you can just tell, they just wear it on their face. Well, sometimes that's our way in our attitude and our perspective when it comes to being God's servant. And then if we serve in that way, it nullifies everything else. If we serve with the wrong attitude, it undermines everything. And that's where Timothy goes, or Paul goes at the end of verse 21 there. He says, useful to the master of the house. And then he says this, ready for every good work. Ready for every good work. That word ready in the Greek, it means to be prepared. It means to be willing. It needs to be, means to be at the, the, the waiting, at the ready, at the drop of a hat. You need me to go do something, I'm on it. Not a begrudging attitude, not a, a complaining attitude, not a serving with the roll of the eyes, but no, this is a, a willingness, a preparedness, and an eagerness to serve God. It reminded me of the scene from Isaiah chapter six, which we read not long ago in the, in the DBR. Isaiah appears before the throne of God and he sees the throne of God and he sees that there are these, these angelic creatures around the throne and each of them has six wings and with two wings they cover their face because they can't stand to see the full glory of, of God seated on the throne and with two wings they, they cover their feet and there's questions about that but most agree that it's some form of, of modesty that they were covering there and then with two wings what are they doing? The last two, flying. Why are they flying? Because they don't have feet? No, their feet are covered. They have feet. They could have stood on either side of the throne of God. Why are they flying? They're crying, but they're flying because they're ready to do the beckoning of the Lord at any moment. They're active. They're hovering because they are servants of God before they are anything else. And they are prepared and they are ready to be dispatched from the one who is holy, holy, holy. Which is why when the Lord says, take a coal from the altar and go and touch it to the lips. It happens right away because they understand that they're there to serve the Lord and it's an honor for them to serve the Lord. That's the mindset that you and I need. We need to, to understand that it's honorable for us to be the king's servants. And we must be ready at any point to be about his business. It's our final point tonight. It's this, be a willing servant of God. Be a willing servant of God. The world is not going to define honor this way, is it? That we're a servant, that we need to be useful to somebody else and we need to be willing to be useful to somebody else. The world is going to say, no, that, that's exactly the opposite. You work to get to a position of honor so that you don't have to do any of that stuff, so that other people are willing to serve you and God is turning that on its head and saying, no, if you want to be honorable, it's about the humility and it's about the, the, the eagerness to be a servant for somebody else. I mentioned earlier that I've got my son taking out the trash now. And I would like to say that he is a willing servant every time that I say, hey, Josh, the trash needs to go out. But the reality is, he's not. And I wasn't when I was at 10 years old either. The eye roll comes, the reasons, the excuses, the yeah, but it's too heavy, or but I, took, I just took it out yesterday, or it's, can somebody else do it? Why do I? That's what comes out of his mouth, right? And he's 10. Man, that's what comes out of our hearts sometimes when God's asking us to serve. And we're not 10, right? The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 17, Pastor Mike referenced this verse a few weeks ago in his message two weeks ago. He says, 
the writer says this, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and what's the next? Not with what? Groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. When I ask my son to take out the trash and he complains, man, I tell you what, that's not a joyful experience for me, is it? But when I ask him to take out the trash, he's like, okay, dad, no problem, I got it. That's a joyful thing. It's the same way for us and the Lord, men. When the Lord has something for us to do, let's be eager and willing and joyful in serving him. Let's look for opportunities to serve the Lord. That's part of being a willing servant. It's, it's keeping your eyes open, not just sitting back going, well, I'm willing, but nobody's asking me to serve. No, look for the, be proactive in this. How can I serve you? Pray for opportunities to serve. Lord, I wanna, I wanna be a servant to you. I wanna be useful to you. I'm willing and I'm ready. I, I'm asking that you would provide me an opportunity to, 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 to be a servant, to be useful to you. Think outside of your comfort zone. Think outside of your comfort zone. There's an old saying that says that God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Think of a, an area of service that maybe you would never even imagine serving in, but maybe there's a need there and be willing to get outside of your comfort zone and say, okay, God, I'm willing to step in and serve in this capacity, but I'm gonna need you to help me out here because this is way outside my wheelhouse. Don't limit yourself when you think of serving. Saying, well, I'm gonna serve and I took my spiritual gift inventory and these are my spiritual gifts and I'm not gonna serve outside of my spiritual gifts. And sometimes I feel like if we took those spiritual gift inventories and crumpled them up and threw them in the fireplace, we'd do a whole lot more good for the church because we would get out of our pigeonholes. Adipat, right? Pastor Mike talks about that all the time. Anything, any place, anytime. Not as long as it corresponds to my spiritual gift inventory that I took. Anything, any place, any time. I'm willing, I'm ready, God. Put me to work. Put me in coach, right? That John Fogarty, Center Field. One of the great songs of Americana. Do something you've never done. Challenge yourself intentionally. Say, okay, fine, I, I wanna serve and I wanna be willing and I need to, to improve in this area. To, to borrow from the book, titled by Chuck Swindoll, which is a great book on this subject, Improve Your Serve. I, I want to improve my serve. I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to sign up for the welcome team. I'm going to sign up for the parking ministry. I'm going to sign up for the tech team. I'm going to sign up for the choir when they need it for Christmas, in, unless you're not musically gifted, and then don't do that. But do something you've never done. And men, as a resource for this, I want you to write down this web address. It's, it's easy. Are you ready? Serve.compasschurch.org. Serve dot compasschurch.org. If you go to that website, man, that's a way that, that lists every single ministry and every single way that you can serve at our church. In fact, part of the application questions for after this, this message is to actually go there in your small groups and to talk about where you're serving or where you might be able to plug in and serve. I hope you do that. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, right on the heels of that great passage that says, for by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves, lest anyone boast, but this is a gift of God. Right on that passage that we always love. And then in verse 10, the apostle Paul says, for we are his workmanship. We are his vessel. 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Men, God has a storehouse of good works that he has prepared for you. Lean into that. Ready yourself, avail yourself to the Lord to be useful to him and be willing to be used the way that God wants to use you. Not the way that you want to be used by God. Another angle on this is to consider the imminent return of Christ. That Jesus is going to come back at, at any moment. And as he said in the parable, blessed is the one whom his master finds doing his bidding when he returns, yes? And so the question for you tonight is, how is he going to find you? If he were to return tonight, how would you be doing in this area of living as an honorable man through owning your identity as, as God's servant? Will he find you about his work? An honorable vessel is one that considers it a privilege to be used by the master. And so therefore he's ready and willing for anything the master should want done. For the man of God, honor, respect, dignity is found first and foremost in humility. It's not in boasting in an earthly re resume or a, some sort of pedigree of prestige. That doesn't impress God. If we want to be honorable in God's eyes, we need to understand that it's found in embracing this identity as, as his servant and striving with everything in us to live a life that's useful to God and in doing so, keeping ourselves ready and willing at all times to do his bidding. I, I don't know if honor's ever gonna make a comeback in our country. I feel like social media was kind of the final nail in the coffin on that one. But it can make a resurgence in our churches if we're willing to be men who are honorable according to God's definition of honorability and respectability. And so I pray that's the type of men that we'll be. Let's pray together. God, that's our desire. We want to be honorable, not for the world's accolades, Lord. The world's accolades mean nothing in the grand scheme of things. What does it profit a man to gain the world but forfeit his soul? Lord, we want to be men who have left everything to follow you. We want to be men who take up our cross daily to follow you. We want to be men who are understanding that each and every day that we wake up, we wake up as your servant, as your slave, to do your bidding, to do your will. Lord, we want to be men useful to you in that regard. We want to be put to work. And God, we want to be men who say anything, any place, any time. I'm ready, I'm willing, send me. Here I am, send me. Men in your eyes and in your economy. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.